When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let me volume check my guitar so that's Oh, shoot. Okay. Good. That sounds good to me. Happy, I'm happy. I'm happy very much so. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Final Frontier. For those of you who are watching the stream, I'm Caitlin Cornell, and I am also in the dark. It is dark outside, uh, even though we are time jumping to Sunday morning. Uh, it is because today is my birthday, so I am not working on my birthday. So we pre-recorded this episode about Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, Episode Two, Children of the Comet. My guest today is Tom McNally, who is an expert guitarist, and he is also my guitar teacher. He also teaches me a lot about music theory, so I thought he'd be fun to have on this episode. Hi, Tom. Hey, Caitlin. What's up? Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of that. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into guitar, into music, and into um, learning about music theory as a part of you being a guitar player. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, well, the short answer is, you know, I played classical piano when I was a kid and then um, completely swore off music at the age of 11 <laughs> as one does and then like a month later the guitar was in my hand and I was just like you know it was like that clouds parting angels singing type of moment in life where you're just like right ah uh, and then that was going really well for three or four months and then I heard Jimi Hendrix and the first time I heard Hendrix it was Purple Haze was the very first thing and it was are you experienced that I heard the whole album in one go the first time I heard Hendrix type of thing. But those first couple seconds, just of like that sound, everything about that energy and all of just like. <laughs> I little 11 year old me literally just going, ah, <laughs> just screaming and like going like, this is what music is. This is what my life is all about. Like it was that lightning. It was the me. click. It was the switch. Yeah. And that was it that like, there was no turning back from there. Um, I, you know, carrying on from there, you know, like I, I studied and practiced pretty intensely for, you know, the rest of my high school years. I had an amazing guitar teacher in high school named Leroy Critcher, who was, he was a really wonderful improviser. Shout out to all the music and theater and art teachers out there that affect all of us young folks that end up trying to do this for a living and doing this for a living. Well, they uh, change our lives in magnificent ways, you know? And yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just share like a, a thing that he had me do like early on in lessons, you know, um, 
you know, he, he said, okay, we'll sit here, you know, set your metronome to, you know, a medium click and you just sit there and go. And he would say, you know, do that for a bit and then just listen for the next note that you would want to play and just kind of ground yourself in that pitch and listen, just use your ears and kind of perceive notes and phrases and then just go find them. Is this in my future? Yeah, definitely. Um, And, you know, he said, like, you can use scales to organize it or you can just, you know, throw spaghetti on the wall, whatever. But, like, you know, that winds up being the foundation for discovering your own voice because the whole assignment is to pay attention to your own inner aesthetic, you know, and what you hear. Yeah. Um, And uh, so that, that alone was just such a massive like door blasting open type of experience for, for me. And then, um, in college, you know, my late teens, early twenties, uh, it just sort of continued on. I, I got to study with some really incredible improvisers. Um, uh, you know, among them would be Rob Blakesley, Michael Vlakovich, Tad Weed, uh, Billy Mintz, some guys like that, um, you know, play with and study it was very much a mentorship type of thing. Nice. And part of all of that, was you just had to be studying all the time because you're you're really it boils down to you're trying to ground your ears in what you're hearing so you kind of know what it is or know how to work with it or know how to deal with whatever's coming at you how to listen mm-hmm. to it, all that kind of thing yeah um, and so that just got me super obsessed because the question in those kinds of situations is always and it always goes back to the hendrix thing too of like how did i get struck by lightning but you know what do you do with different musical energies coming your way? How do you respond to them and making sure that you have the tools to pull it off? (laughs) God, I'm learning all of the tools and the guitar is such a strange instrument to me just because it like, you can, I think you once played it like straight down all the way across the string and then like diagonally. And I think I blew a gasket. Like I just did. If you come from piano, this thing is a nightmare because you know, you can play it horizontally, horizontally, vertically and diagonally. And it's just, that is what it is. Well, here's the thing is I don't come from a piano background and it still freaked me out. So yeah. it's um, a good instrument, you know, it's amazing. I, I heard a cheat sheet about tonight's episode that we're going to talk about harmonics. Um, and uh, my friend, the stringed instrument is we're, we're very Pythagorean over here on this thing. Heck yeah. Like, that's the, that's one of the great things about the guitar is that, you know, even the fret markers tell you where the, where the nodes are going to be, but like those yeah. are all partials of each string that's uh, crazy and it's it's just like like there's a tight interval there's a wider one it's just beautiful what you can do with the math and this little beast I'm actually really curious what you think, because uh, when I sent you the, the what we're going to talk about, we're talking about uh, Children of the Comet, which uh, is the second episode of Strange New Worlds. And it was you being struck by lightning was was Jimi Hendrix and me being struck by lightning was Star Trek, the original series. Mm. And um, I watched it with my mom all the time. And uh, and I'll probably talk about her a lot on this show, but I love love loved you know staying up late to like nine i think it's played at like nine o'clock and they played two episodes back to back on like some old like you know tv channel that doesn't exist anymore but it was just nice to like um 
to, to stay up with my mom and watch, you know, this, this crew of people that you become really attached to, you just go from world to world to world. And I remember watching Lieutenant Uhura and she, there was a couple of episodes um, where they had her sing. Um, and Nichelle Nichols was a really beautiful vo vocalist and they had her sing with uh, Leonard Nimoy who plays Spock. So mm. it, their kind of musical relationship had already been established in a previous show. And it was nice to kind of see the beginnings of this in this episode. And for just a quick recap of the episode, um, this is their first away mission on Star Trek. This goes back to the old Star Trek away mission scenarios. Uh, while on a survey mission, the USS Enterprise discovers a comet is going to strike an inhabited planet. While trying to unlock the comet secrets, Pike and number one deal with a group of zealots who want to prevent any interference. And the musical episode that I was talking about is Charlie X, which is where uh, Uhura sings an improvised song with Spock while he, play Spock while he plays the lute. Um, this episode, in a story thematic way, and please jump in, Tom, because I know you watched Old Trek a little bit as well. Um, it references for me Close Encounters um, with the with the little kind of five notes. Um, da 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 da. Yeah, and 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 the, the way that. Um, uh, music as a language is understood almost interplanetary mm -hmm. um, that anyone can, it kind of assumes that people can figure out a sense of musical communication. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll never forget the first step. Like I've heard it, I heard it before, but it was like the vocalizing of that five note thing in close encounters like I think that was one of the more powerful moments it's when there it was when it became a chant. Like this, I think they went to like I don't know what where I can't remember where it is from, so I don't want to say it out loud. But it was a whole group of like it was almost a choir just chanting this this note series over and over and over mm -hmm. again. Um, and it was really really powerful. Um, and it was almost like to open a doorway, and they all it got really stuck in your head. Um, That'll but do this, that. Yeah. <laughs> but the away mission structure is really, really cool in Star Trek because it automatically establishes the A story and the B story mm -hmm. um, where, you know, members of a landing party, they usually like go and check it out and they get trapped there. And so like then you have the A, a story with the away mission trying to figure out how to get back to the ship. And then you have the ship as the B story trying to help them out. And then something usually happens where it's like, you know. The, the ship, the other ship comes, the kind of space monks and it's like, hey, you can't interfere with our comet. And now there's like a time crunch that is a, that is putting pressure on uh, getting the away team back. Um, and time crunching is, is a very good way that Star Trek establishes um, its own sense of pressure while not being hurried. Um, there's like a tone to this as opposed to other serial shows where it's like, once the time crunch hits and like any other serial that you watch, um, like it gets really anxiety inducing <laughs> and in, in Star Trek, it's not the case. And I think they kind of hearkened back to what a time pressure would be without it, without needing to like solve an issue right away. Yeah. Yeah. The um, pacing is really good. The pacing of the show is very much like old Trek. And I don't even, I want to get to the end of these episodes and figure out and articulate why it's so good and why they are so good at it and what exactly they're doing, because it's different than the stuff they're doing on discovery and the stuff they're doing on, you know, other like Battlestar Galactica type of shows uh, or even the Orville, which is also really good. Um, but 
to segue into why this lovely man is here, um, this is a great example um, of without adding tension, without adding violence or action, because it is just about the science. It is a good example of science to understand and translate and to not antagonize the, comp the comment and to just focus on gathering the facts. So you have this away team that is literally just gathering information. It's not trying to attack the thing it's in. It's not trying to pry its way their way out in any way. They're like, well, we're stuck here. We have all of these symbols around us. So what do we do? Um, and I really, really enjoy that aspect of the series and of the world building. And right now to lead into Tom talking about harmonics, uh, because that is how they figure out the comment. Uh, it is another rendition of what the hell did Spock just say? <laughs> uh, uh, we are going to play a small clip from the episode of, uh, and it is owned by Paramount plus. And uh, this is uh, uh, Sam Kirk has just been attacked by the comment because he got too close to the center. They figure out that there are etch markings in the center and Uhura as the xenolinguist is trying to translate them. So here we go. Different pitches elicit different responses. What's the light show? Is it good? The comet systems seem to be controlled by music. Lieutenant Kirk thought these symbols were a code. Music is just sound waves, which can be represented by numbers. What if the code is harmonics? Someone help me out here. I skip music class. Harmonics are just the ratios between frequencies. Every note vibrates at a specific frequency, double that frequency, and you get the same pitch an octave higher. That's the two in our code. Triple the frequency and you get a perfect fifth. Five times the frequency is a major third. The code is a major chord. Why would an alien species write music the way we do? Musical notes are easily derived from math. Vulcans theorize it is their fundamental nature which makes them pleasing to the ear. So, what the hell did Spock just say? <laughs> uh, um, he said the music sounds good. I know. <laughs> I like how, uh, but my favorite part about it is like Vulcans invented first contact and Vulcans theorize that it is the fundamental mathematical nature that makes it pleasing. It's like Vulcans invented everything. <laughs> I like how there's a little bit of like pride, not like it is said or it is theorized. It's like we said it. Yeah, this um, is this is the absolute reality. Yeah, I miss Spock. I do love Spock very, very much, and you know, thank God everyone else does because we just we get more of him. But the, I think what I want to start with, because I had to kind of. I was very curious about how they turned music into a language that they could then talk to the comment and then, uh, and then, and then address the comment directly is what happens later in the episode. She starts kind of um, doing a major chord and she has Spock harmonize with her. And then later she comes up with her own melody and the comment lowers its own shields. So I don't know how far that's we can get. That's a dating tip too, by the way. Huh? I said that's a dating tip too, by the way. <laughs> Just sing and the comment will lower their shields. Yeah. 
So when when they're talking about the, what if the code was harmonics, what does that actually mean? Um, well, in, in terms of that clip, right? Um, yeah. They figured out that you know the well the, the symbols, right? They they pertain to different numbers, and and they've worked out that the relationship between them is the different partials, right? That's what Spock is saying originally, mm -hmm. uh, very directly, right? So E below a string on the guitar. This would be what's called the fundamental. Okay. And when he says, you know, um, he says you double the frequency. So the two would be the octave, right? Okay. And then you can do it again. You know, this is the string. This is all Pythagoras. Um, the, the string being divided in two, right? Because the 12th fret on an electric, well, on a guitar, the 12th fret is exactly halfway between these two points, which are the beginning and end of the string length, right? Copy. Um, so the string is vibrating like so. And when you put a stop, you know, at a certain part of the string, you only get the rest of the vibration, right? You don't, you don't get anything that goes above this. Yeah. So what, what Tom is mimicking with his hands for the people who are not watching is he's mimicking um, the up and down of a sound wave. And yeah. when you stop, at, when you stop a sound wave, either, you know, with us, with our speech, we stop sound waves with our, our plosives and our, our, um, our words, the way that we, we form words with our syllables, we are stopping sound waves yeah. um, to make different pitches and different, um, uh, and different sounds. So he's mimicking the same thing with his fingers um, so that he's mimicking when to stop the interval. So, okay. Yeah so, yeah, so you have a sine wave basically, and you know, it's this beautiful little curve. And, um, you know, that, that would be the lower pitch. And then you stop it dead in the middle, in this case, in a string, literally physically in the middle. And you get that partial if you divide the string into four lengths, right? And it's it, the multiples of two are like that, right? That's the next octave up. So if you divide the string in, in halves, you're getting the, the octaves, as it were. Exactly. So this is called the overtone series. Okay. Um, and it is beautiful. Um, and, and it is, it's one of those things where the relationship with mathematics is so intimate and intertwined that you wouldn't say that one comes before the other. They're just like a big orbiting spiral of goodness. So we couldn't uh, say like what came first, math or music. They're kind of intertwined naturally. Yeah, I like to think of it, you know, if staying within music, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, rhythmic ratios, you know, like four against one, for instance, would be what we'd call 16th notes. So, um, Got it. You know, or, or three against one triplets, that sort of thing. Um, you know, that is that is sort of a, a time duration version of the overtone series or, or other kinds of ratios, right? Because it it's spread out over the beats, you know, mm -hmm. are, are occurring in linear time moving forward, right? And then in the overtone series, um, these principles are existing as a pitch, right? Okay. You, you can actually see this in interesting ways on oscilloscopes, but that's a whole other conversation. Right. Uh, oscilloscope is just a, a device that visually represents a frequency. Right. Yeah. And what uh, she what she's doing, did I, sorry, did I interrupt you? No. What she's doing or what the, what you're describing is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, going along the same string and just cutting the frequency at different at different speeds, triple the frequency and you get a major third, like that type of thing. Is that what I'm hearing? 
more or less yeah so uh, what she's describing right is as you as you go up the overtone series you get a series of partials and so like for instance the first three are the octave uh, so this is the fundamental that's the two that so yeah this is the one this is what we would call the second partial that's the octave the third would be the fifth and then the next one is the octave and now we start getting into like the third is the next partial, so that would be one, two, three, four. So when he says, and you do this and you get a perfect fifth, that's what he's talking about? Exactly. exactly. And that changes so, the tune up the string. Yeah, and this is relative to one string, right? So your bass line is consistent. You know, okay. It's not like, oh, but now we're in the key of D, so change everything. Um, no, this is all relative to one this is relative to E in this case. Um, that actually makes sense because yeah. the clip that um, that shows after this, um, which we don't have, but um, the scene after this is when she's kind of figured it out and she's doing her little experiment. She has Spock kind of take the, the bass line, the bass note, and she takes the upper note and she basically leads him through a chord um, yeah. and sees how the comet responds. So, and she goes, bum, 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 bum. And then they go up the octave in that chord. Is, does that, like, why does that kind of elicit a response? What chord is she doing? And how, by going up the chord, is she going up the octave to see if there is a different response? Or is that just naturally what it does? Um, so that would be what would happen as you go up the overtone series, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they get that major chord because those are the first distinct yeah. partials right of the one five and three mm -hmm. uh, you know if you just play that directly and that is super pleasing probably because mathematically speaking those ratios are all in relationship to one another right so like you're just building on what's already going on what happens if it's off what does it sound uh, like if it's not if it's not mathematically correct as it were like if a pitch was flat or sharp yeah um generally people use speaking, those. that causes dirty looks yeah if you do <laughs> if you do that on stage it's just like you know it's not good mm -hmm. um, so it's a note a note that's kind of flat can be very jar or sharp uh, can be very jarring it can sometimes be incredibly attractive and there are composers that have worked with that sort of thing where it's just like what and in particular, you know, if, like if you listen to a lot of old blues guitar music, right? You know, there's lots of string bending and vibrato, um, which is you know. So if we're if we're just doing in major, is our E major? Like there's all that bendy stuff that goes on, and it really takes you from a lot of tension into a lot of release and back, you know, okay. so you're, you're in that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, left to its own devices, it can just be a curdled milk experience. If the notes are just flat, you mm -hmm. know, um, fortunately, if you're playing on one string and you're just playing up the overtone series, it'll be consistent because the string. So here's something that we talked about in one of our lessons that I wanted to bring back is because Hendrix is a, as a huge, uh, uh, inspiration to you, but we also talked a lot about Kurt Cobain. Oh yeah. And um, we talked about how Cobain in particular took all of the rules of, of songwriting and kind of threw them out the window. 
Yeah, he's. It's amazing what he got away with. Because did he, did keep? I want you to talk about Kurt for a second, and then I'll ask my question. Um, I mean, he's amazing. Like, uh, you know, to to have those ears and to hear those sounds, you know, and yeah. I mean, musically speaking, theoretically speaking, he breaks a lot of rules of conventional songwriting. Of like, um, you know, nearly everything is perfect fits moving. Uh, you know, like for instance. classical music western music theory that breaks loads of rules the the fun and if it ain't baroque don't fix it that's right that's right bock it on up um (laughs) but you know like he he sort of goes in and out of the key of you know the key of d um you know there's there's just a lot of strange moves that he makes and the thing is it always works for the ear Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's <laughs> in a funny sort of way he kind of writes like rock samples you know what i mean like he'll, he'll right. get this he'll get this two or four bar hook type of guitar riff going that's just addictive you know like like lithium is that chord progression the entire song it's like five minutes long how so it's just cool all the way through and the only variation is loud and not loud you know, or clean and dirty, depending on how you want to think about it. Okay. Um, but then there's that, and then there's his like utterly unique, beautiful uh, sense of melody writing, which is super Beatles influenced, but unbelievably his own at the same time. Mm-hmm. That, that's my short rap on Kurt. I mean, like, I, what I wanted to ask you now that we have a foundation is, you know, I think a lot of us know like the four chords that kind of that that set most major rock songs or pop songs mm-hmm. and we've heard that like you know oh the same four chords and this song is like also in this song and like we've heard those you know musicians just riff off of the same four notes and then cycle through all sure. of the lyrics that match it and what you're telling me is that Kurt Cobain was very different and I swear to god this relates to Star Trek because was what Kurt Cobain was doing still supported by music theory even though he was bending the rules like why is it pleasing to the ear still even though he was twisting the rules a little bit because it feels like math and science in particular especially the vulcan version of math and science is very hard to twist and very hard to like put a spin on it it's like this sounds good and this doesn't type of thing especially when it's as subjective a science as music i mean part of it is the old jazz adage that you can't do that until somebody comes along and does that (laughs) you know it's like it it certainly breaks Bach's Baroque rules, although Bach sometimes breaks Bach's Baroque rules, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's just like a component of music theory, you know, that's generally agreed on because it never takes into account like the French Impressionists who don't follow those rules particularly. Um, but with Kurt, I mean, he just wrote such great songs, you know, like at the end of the day, like the emotional hit of it is just so good. And the way everything is put together. Yeah, he just, you know, that was his magical little music that he heard in his head. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, yeah, he just did it. (laughs) He just did it. And yeah. Um, Yeah, people like that are, are a bit hard to quantify because um, they're 
you know, they're like these magical creatures that grace us for a period of time and bring this like incredible innovation to what's been going on, you know, and like mm -hmm. you can you can look at Kurt's influences, you know, like the Pixies, I mentioned the Beatles, you yeah. know, he's basically a, a punk with a really strong melodic grounding, you know, um, and why it works so well is like, I don't know, it just does. I think maybe that would be the answer to my last question, which is, you know, we go from Uhura and Spock figuring out that music is the language and then mm -hmm. her kind of translating, which is what we just did through, through math and basically her doing the intervals and then experimenting with singing the chord. Is, yeah. is that correct? I just want to make sure I'm saying the language right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what ends up happening is to negotiate with the comet to lower the shield, she kind of makes up her own tune and it somehow works. Uh -huh. So based off of the kind of creating the baseline, which is the language, which is, you know, you create like the baseline of any language. Um, you create your foundation and then you kind of extrapolate off of it. Is it possible to create a speakable language out of music like that? Hmm. Uh, I mean, offhand, intuitively, I would say absolutely yes. You know, the the voice of Sun Ra in the back of my head concurring wildly. Um, yeah, I mean, because the thing is, at the end of the day, the the emotional impact is so strong, you know, and it's almost like it's a more direct route. Mm -hmm. um, and especially as a jazz musician, as, as improvisers, you know, we have a legion of stories about telepathic phenomenon on stage, you know you get into that zone and you just, you kind of dissolve into the whole experience and like, you know, what's going to happen or you feel it before it happens or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or the like uh, people that dance, like the spontaneous dancing and it keeps going on and on and on and on. And it's totally. just like, it's catching. Yeah. And everybody's just kind of synced up with each other. Like your, your attention is so much on the whole as opposed to like me, um, right. you know, and, and that attunement alone, you know, it's like if, if everybody's reaching their hands out that way, then everybody's hands connect and then you have one unified body functioning as such. Yeah. Um, which makes sense because when the space monks come, which we didn't even get to that part of the story, um, uh, the comet's mission was to kind of be a part. A comet is apparently very, very old and has like witnessed many, many worlds and many, many times. So these monks kind of like trail the comet to make sure it's okay. <laughs> and like, they're kind of like slightly stalking the comet. I think I'm just, and we're like, really? Like, are, are you really making sure, are you really seeing if the comet's okay? Or are you just like attaching yourself to the comet's coattails as it were? Cause that's like your purpose. Um, yeah. We don't trust the space monks on this show. Um, but it's more about like the comet. What ends up happening in the, in the story is the comet uh doesn't impact the planet spoiler alert um because it was never going to and he actually they actually he actually needed the enterprise they actually needed the enterprise in order to help him help them avoid it right allegedly so it, it, what's interesting about what you're saying to me is it's the, the given that the pathway was connection and the goal was connection if the away team was supposed to remain on the comet and long enough to figure out a way to communicate with each other before they could be sent back, 
it almost doesn't matter if she communicated properly or not. What matters be that she tried. And then yeah, the comment cool. was like, cool. And because all that was that all that mattered is that that connection was established. And that connection was through music, which is inherently in our minds and maybe intergalactically music is a connection point because it is a, it is a expression of emotion. And yeah. maybe that's what the whole thing was about. It's not having a, a, a physical language, but an emotional connection language. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you'll hear like old, old great musicians will, will say that in so many ways, often a lot of colorful ways. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, when, um, when I was playing with Ornette Coleman, he would say, he would say like the most Yoda thing ever. Um, you know, he, he would want to play some unbelievably complicated thing. And I would say, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll give it a try. And you just go, oh, there is no try. There is only doing. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Are you sure he wasn't Yoda? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure he wasn't like, you know, on Dagobah somewhere? Was that the name of his band? Oh, no, I'm not sure of that at all. I, you know, yeah, that he was just amazing. I mean, he that guy was an absolute wizard to be around and to play with. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. Um, but it was really true, you know, and and he would he would have exercises when when we would play duets together, uh, you know, where he would say, OK, you know, play, you know, four, six, eight notes in a row, like the same pitch, you know, just go like, you know, go for it. obviously slower than that but like let the note kind of bring out and yeah say, you know each time you play it i want you to feel and hear whatever the the harmonic substructure is like whatever whatever sounds are happening underneath that are melodies and and just keep doing that as you're playing those and he would sit there and like he would just kind of listen to me do that and then i would do the same thing he would play the note and i would listen to it and you just tune into what the other person was hearing but not playing and then start playing that and that would be a way that you would start improvising together and it's like that you know that's the um practical musical theory tuning into the same frequency yeah you're literally people like people had you know, to line up yeah there's an invisible inaudible you know there's there's a musical presence in the room that i'm now hearing and, and like you know who knows the origin of it right like are you just willing it into existence because you're hearing it like who knows it doesn't really matter what matters is i'm listening to you at such an intensity um that those things will become perceptible musically mm -hmm. um and it's you know yeah it's a totally achievable thing um and it's wild when it starts happening because you you know well, like, you know, when you're doing that and the other person starts playing what you're hearing in your head. It's a jam yourself. session at that point. It's it's taking the kind yeah. of vibe and the beat and like making music together, talking together. And which, space travel, you know, it's just like you can't believe what you're feeling in the moment where somebody's like so locked in. Yeah. It's not them being locked into you. It's you two being locked into one another, you know. Right. And feeding of off of one another. Feeding off of one and perceiving the same I don't know, source material for lack of a better word. Anyway, Star Trek is from the, the comment. It's amazing. But what's what's cool about it is that's a kind of the base of Star Trek. And from the last episode from Strange New Worlds, which is the pilot, it was all about communicating. And it was all about, you know, reaching out to one another. And, you know, Star Trek has this, we talked about this the last episode with Kevin Grazier. Um, Star Trek has this radical optimism 
that is yeah. ingrained in its in its source material and in its in its in its structure and its in its soul um of if we communicate if we talk if we debate each other if we try to agree and disagree with each other and find those places of common ground a lot of which is music um this actually feels like a natural progression of the season to start with talking and debate to go into music and emotional connection and i wonder uh what how else it's going to work they're going to world build off of this now that i have this kind of like it's in the brain now it can't get out yeah. Um, so it's a good way to kind of talk about fundamental Star Trek and what their goal is through something as connecting as music. Yeah. Thank you so bad. much for talking to me <laughs> late at night, early in the morning. It's early in the morning. We've, we've, all, we've all tricked you. Now, anybody um, who knows me will know that I am not this articulate early in the morning. This is, I'm so glad we did this then. Yeah. Is there any way that um, people in the chat or people who are listening, um, where can we find you and where can we find more of your music and more of, uh, of you? Ah, um, Instagram at Tom McNally, T-O-M-M-C-N-A-L-L-E-Y. Oh, That's yeah. probably the best place for right now. I do a bit of the old TikToking, uh, also at Tom McNally. Um, I am in the midst of a bunch of recording and hopefully there will be stuff out soon, but there have been some delays Um so that that has been a bit of a slower go, but, um, those but are when good. it happens, I will final frontier podcast at final frontier pod on in the Instagrams, uh, and the TikToks and the, uh, the Twitters, uh, we will tweet all that out for you and we Ooh. will let our fans know, um, guest Tom McNally is doing some cool schnikes. Yeah. As Mitch Hedberg said, you can also find me at the store. <laughs> well final frontier and geekscapist you can find me at final frontier pod and you can also find me at cornellable c-o-r-n-e-l-l-a-v-l-e um this has been final frontier and i'm really excited thank you so much tom for talking to me about oh, music yeah, and i also feel like this is because you are also my guitar teacher this is also in my future so i am like oh god Oh, yeah, all this. And then and then the next time we do an episode about music theory, guys, it's going to be me talking and Tom's going to be the one hosting. It's going to be a total role reversal. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, so what is going on in this, Star Trek, on this Star Trek episode? And I'll be like, yo, <laughs> strum, I, I, strum, strum. <laughs> yeah. Was, be like, I got this. I'm um, just going to show you guys right now. We got Rock this. on. <laughs> yeah, we'll get Master of Puppets next time. I'm, I'm rocking my my Eddie Munson t-shirt for those on the chat. Um, you know it. Um, that is all the, the time. That is all the time we have for this episode. So I will say good night and goodbye to you all. And the next episode will be either the last, uh, the 28th of August. Although I might be out of town, so it might be the first week of September. So stay tuned on the Instagram, stay tuned on the Twitter, stay tuned on Geekscape, and we'll see you in the galaxy. See you guys. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 